This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Join now here on the flagship podcast preview of the Texas-West Virginia game by Mike Casaza of Earsports.com, the West Virginia site on the 24-7 Sports Network. Mike, how you doing? I'm good. I actually, uh, I want to tell you something. I hope that one day I'm on the hot seat with 24-7 and you're writing about it. <laughs> oh, no. That's, yes. uh, that, um, well, I hope for your sake and my sake that that day never comes. But um, that is, uh, that's, uh, we've never had a flagship pos- podcast kick off quite that way. <laughs> but I'm here Mike, to help. Um, these two teams come in off of victories in very different ways. Um, they both beat undefeated teams in big 12 play Texas. We're still trying to figure out how they won their game. West Virginia steamrolled Kansas state. What, uh, what stood out about that win over K state that maybe we hadn't seen from West Virginia up to this point. They controlled the game. They didn't hurt themselves and they didn't let Kansas State do anything that Kansas State can't do. And that part sounds weird, but there have been times this year where West Virginia has played a team that shouldn't be able to do something, and that team is able to do it. And, and it's popped up at bad times. So they were not going to beat West Virginia's defense with Will Howard, and they were not going to let Deuce Vaughn beat him. So what's going to happen is the freshman quarterback going to get hot and throw a couple passes over your head. Probably shouldn't happen, and it didn't happen. Um, are you going to lose track? a Vaughn somehow and let him run a wheel route or let him break through on a screen. No, they weren't going to let that happen. So they, they made sure that there weren't any landmines out in front of them. You know, once they got the lead and this is twice now that they've had a lead and they've been pretty solid on defense and offense. Um, and again, no, no, no really big turnovers. They had one in the fourth down play on the final drive. Penalties were minimal. Didn't drop a pass. Um, they've had a lot of self-inflicted, mistakes that have really harmed them and kind of kept them from maybe putting up bigger numbers finally stayed out of their way and they hung up a bunch of points and a bunch of yards yeah this is a, a game between the two most penalized teams mm. in the big 12 let we'll get to that in a second but um they've both played oklahoma state they both played them in stillwater um that was west virginia's first big 12 game what stood out about that game. Oklahoma State won it 27-13. to 13. Yeah, in it till the end. Gave up a touchdown drive late, so they, they kind of played ping pong for a little bit and punted it away down seven and said, let's see if our defense can stop Shane Illingworth. Did not stop Shane Illingworth. I think they had maybe three first downs on third downs all day in that drive, and they converted three or four on that drive, so they went from three to seven on one possession. They couldn't stop him when it mattered most, and they gave up a touchdown and lost by you know, 13. So it was probably closer than the final score. Um, the weird thing was that they never really went after Illingworth too much. And they even kind of admitted they had a weird game plan where, you know, they, they played a light box and tried to stop the pass and they got gashed in the run by Chuba Hubbard. 
I don't know, Chip, if you're playing Hubbard and a backup quarterback, are you going to load the box or are you going to play light box? I'm probably going to load the box. So I think they regretted that, and they, they didn't use their defensive line as strongly or as consistently as they wanted to. And I think that they realized since then that, man, we got three really good guys. We can add a fourth up front. We can be tough. And they blew up Baylor when they played them by playing with their defensive line. And then they gave Kansas trouble. I went to Texas Tech and kind of did a similar thing where they weren't sure they're going to get from Henry Columbia. Um, I think they respected the pass a little bit and had some trouble again when it mattered most by not being able to get a pass rush. So I think it's a curious thing for Saturday. You know, what do you do with Ellinger? They tried things through the years. They've had mixed results, but you play light in the box and see if he can beat you with the pass and the receivers. Do you load up the box and pressure him and, and hope he doesn't get outside or hit some big plays? I'm, I'm really curious because they've had a mixed result so far this season with what they've done as far as pressure in their defensive line because that's what they do best, especially getting pressure from their defensive line. Talking to Mike Casaza of earsports.com. And when they go to Texas Tech, uh, this is the game with all the dropped passes, right? And yeah. also Tony Fields, their graduate transfer linebacker, gets ejected um, from like the first series of the second quarter. And he, that guy's been unbelievable. I mean, he's the leading tackler on the team, second leading tackler, uh, tackles per game in the Big 12. Um, it, yeah, you tell us what happened there um, at Texas Tech. I thought West Virginia was going to win that game. They should have won the game. They were they had everything set up, and I don't know if they saw three or four moves ahead, but they really put Letty Brown on ice for a little bit in the middle part of the second half. I think over the course of maybe three drives, he had two carries. And they got the ball back with around eight minutes left. Letty Brown run, Letty Brown run, first down, first down. And then all of a sudden they throw a screen pass out to Sam James, like kind of a gimmick play that they've been working on that, that does work from time to time. You'll see it a lot. They, they motion a receiver into the backfield and have him come around the, the quarterback and then motion back in the direction he came. It's kind of like CFL football, Chip. He's on the, on the run when he gets the snap and he's moving. And if they get it to Winston Wright or Sam James like that, watch out. Those, those guys can scoot. Um, trouble is no one blocked for James. And he got surrounded and stripped. And it was a strip six the other way. That also happened against Oklahoma State, a strip six. So, there are two losses that have been decided by fumble return touchdowns. Um, this one happened to be, you know, about 6.50 left in the fourth quarter. And I, I just think, again, they were going to run and run and run and use Lady Brown. And the one time they didn't, um, the worst possible thing happened. Trouble was that they got down there and they had a chance to throw it in the end zone at the end of the game, too. Um, they, they got beat by Columbia, who, who wiggled around a little bit and made some plays. They gave up a big splash play in the run game where they got cut right up the middle. That also happened against Oklahoma State, too. So it's kind of funny if you put one loss over top the other, two very different teams, but we're similar. You know, question marks a quarterback, gave up a, a pop play in the run game that they never do, and gave up a defensive touchdown. And when I look at Texas, quarterback's a little bit better, but they do sometimes get that run play that goes out in the open and makes something happen, uh, and they create turnovers. West Virginia will give you the ball if you ask them. So um, those are definitely <laughs> things to watch on Saturday. Yeah, and that, that's what saved Texas last week yep. against Oklahoma State. They got doubled up in yardage, but the four turnovers by Oklahoma State uh, saved Texas. Um, talking to Mike Casaza, in fact, we will continue uh, with Mike Casaza of earsports.com um, when we come back.
Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Mike, what um, when you look at the strengths and weaknesses of this West Virginia team, obviously the defense is number one against the run, number one against the pass, first in, in sacks. I mean, they've got a lot going on defensively. How are they improving offensively? Wow, that's a good question. They, I'm not sure that they are in the sense that you would think like, all right, this is what has to happen because this sounds weird. Like, they caught the ball. I don't know if we should throw a parade because they didn't drop passes, right? Like, you're supposed to do that. Like, I don't, you don't have to tell me or Sam James or whomever, like, you shouldn't drop the ball. They know that. So, I'm not going to, again, no, no merit badges for that. Um, I, I think that they've kind of figured out that they're maybe who or what they thought they had a receiver isn't quite who or what they have. They really thought they were going to have a, a big time receiver core. They don't. They had eight players catch two to four passes last week. No one caught more than four. No one caught fewer than two. So that's interesting to me because I think they have a couple of guys who can do a couple of things every game. I don't think they have a guy who needs to get targeted ten times or needs to get eight catches because if you throw some of these guys the ball eight or ten times, something bad is likely to happen. They've proven that. So why fight that? You saw that for five games. Why fight that anymore? You have a season of proof. Don't, don't fight it. Just take it. Lean into it. And they, they did. And they figured out ways to use Sam James as a slot guy and not an outside receiver. Uh, Wright is kind of a gimmick player. They move all around the field, and you got to watch him. He lines up a running back. He lines up with the slot. He motions. Um, and then every time you have a little bell and whistle like that, you take your eyes and your attention away from something that maybe you could expose. Um, sometimes it's pass rush, and they've covered up their tackle weaknesses by using their tight ends really well lately. Um, sometimes they just hit draw plays really well, which would cool off your pass rush because, again, they have issues on the edge sometimes. Um, so they're good at stuff like that, and I think they've gotten away from vertical passes. They were terrible at it. They went, I think, two full games without completing a vertical pass, and they were like one of 15 at one point. Not going to win games the Big 12 like that if you're throwing 14 incomplete passes that you know aren't going to connect. Um, and that cost them a couple times, I think, too. But you haven't seen a lot of that lately. It's been very calculated when they've done it off of play action or kind of like flea flicker stuff even too, where they're, they're really trying to stack the odds in their favor. It's not drop back, pat the ball, pat the ball, and hope my guy gets open because their tackles have a hard time with it. Um, they don't hold up very well sometimes, and teams are really aggressive in the pass rush. So um, long answer short, they've identified, I think, better what their personnel and what their advantages are. In terms of the penalties, um, Texas is the most penalized team in the league. West Virginia is the second most. What are, are these penalties? Are they pre-snap? Are they personal fouls? How would you characterize uh, the penalty yardage of the Mountaineers? Yeah, it's an autumn potluck, Chip. Everybody brings something to the party. It's, pre, it's pre-snap. It's formation. It's delay a game after a kickoff. It's personal fouls. It's targeting. It's pass interference. It's just a lot. Um, It's kind of a bingo game sometimes. I don't think we've seen offensive pass interference. That's my G16, so I'm kind of crossing my fingers on this one for next game. It's been a little bit of everything from everybody. So the the one thing as bad is that I think they'll they'll live with a pass interference every now and then because they're aggressive. Even in zone, they're aggressive. 
um, holding, listen, whatever happens, but they do some goofy stuff where like false starts, you know, a couple of times this year, they tried to play fast and weren't lined up and had guys that were still running to the line of scrimmage and they snapped the ball. Uh, they, they take goofy delay game penalties sometimes too. And those, those are sloppy things and they look bad. I don't know how much of that is like stuff you couldn't cover in the brief preseason because of quarantine. I don't know how much of that is because they have a lot of young guys. I don't know how much that is just because maybe the coaches don't yell at them enough, but those are things that I think as the season goes along, and we've seen even fewer of them that they probably should go away a little bit. But let's also say this. How many teams in the country have a player who got ejected get a personal foul for being on the field celebrating a fumble recovery that got overturned by replay? <laughs> that was Tony that Fields. That was Tony Fields. Got ejected for targeting. The new rule this year, you don't have to leave the field. So he's over there in a T-shirt hanging out. They get their first fumble recovery of the season. It's meant a lot to them. They go crazy. It was like that Florida-Georgia uh, game a couple of years ago with Mark Rick sending everybody out in the field after the touchdown. They throw, this, <laughs> they throw this party on the field. Tony Fields is out there. He gets a penalty for being on the field, and they review it, and it's not a fumble, and it all is for naught. It was, it was pretty much everything that's gone wrong for them in one, in one moment there on a penalty. Wow. Well, you bring up Tony Fields. What has he meant to this West Virginia team? He's, he's taken a, a question mark and turned it into an exclamation point. They knew they were going to be good at defensive line, and they, I think they are cat and canary and probably knew what no one else did about their secondary, which is ultimately proven to be true. Their corners are legit, and their safeties are, are like corners who play safety. So they're fine there, and they thought they knew they would be. I don't think they knew what they had at linebacker until they got him, and that was late in the summer too. And what he did was, I mean, he played 25 snaps in the first game and had 10 tackles, and right away they're like, oh, my gosh, we got something here. He's he's not even knowing he doesn't even know what he's doing. He played Will before, which is off the ball in a really bad defense. But what that really bad defense saw him to do was trust nobody and run around and try to make a play that someone else may screw up. And they're better on defense here. He still runs around and tries to make every play. So they got a player off the field who maybe was a little bit too slow and probably didn't deserve to play a ton of snaps in at the mic position at Dylan Tonkery. They moved into Bandit, which is kind of their wrecking ball position, does a lot of pass rush stuff and tries to get in the backfield. He scored in a pick six last week, and he's been pretty effective, at least getting his nose around the ball at his new spot. So Fields, in essence, moved a guy to where he should have been, away from where he shouldn't have been. But also, if you look at his stats, Jeff, this is really weird. He's got, he's got 53 tackles, pretty good. 35 are assisted. So he's made 15 solo tackles or 18 solo tackles, and he's assisted on 35 tackles, which means he's getting to a lot of plays as a middle linebacker. And as he does that, everybody else looks around and says, man, this guy is number two in the country in tackles right now for a reason, right? The only guy with more tackles than him is his other Arizona teammate, Colin Schooler, right? Those guys are one and two in the FBS. So they see, they see him and they say, man, this guy has almost 400 tackles. He's always running around. I should do that too. And they have a bunch of guys who have more assists and solo tackles this year. It's kind of a weird thing. It doesn't happen very much. But I think it's indicative of what he does. He runs around, he tries to make every play, and if he doesn't, he's going to do something good. Case in point, he did not get the tackle last week. Two guys were into the play. He ran over and popped Briley Moore in the back, knocked Briley Moore out of the game, didn't come back in. Um, he doesn't get a tackle on that. It was probably the biggest thing that happened because without Briley Moore, Kansas State doesn't have a receiver who really scares you too. So he's active, he's mean, he's aggressive, but he's really smart. He knows what to do. One thing that I found interesting in this, this season of, of the pandemic and no spring football, no summer conditioning and truncated fall camps. Neil Brown fired Vic Koning, his defensive coordinator, and 
this defense doesn't appear to have missed a beat. I mean, obviously they're running the same stuff. Um, they they moved Jeff Castile from an analyst position. He's a longtime defensive coach, former defensive coordinator at West Virginia under Rich Rod, I believe. How how obviously that transition's been very smooth. Yeah, that's one way to put it. Um, to, to rewind, and this might have gone off the radar. I'm not sure how, how big of a deal it was elsewhere, but um, he he actually got forced out into resignation because a player had alleged some you know insensitive racial, political, religion, uh, religious behavior. Um, and a player speaks out, it goes into a review. He's on a temporary suspension, and then he's gone, and without a word said about it. Um, I don't. I know it happened. I'm still working on trying to get everything, but it was not a happy thing around here for a long, long time. And a lot of players really liked him. And I think it was contentious for a while because it was weird over the summer, Chip. Like, I think players were, were doing a lot of stuff they thought could help. And this might have been or might not have been what was best for the situation socially or for the football team. And I don't think they had a consensus on what to do after that in the locker room, in the administration. So – it's an uncured thing. It's still kind of going on right here. It's something that isn't answered, but just on the field, he, he was like the mad scientist last year that did everything they could to cover up, you know, heavy, heavy damage they took on defense. They had linebackers playing cornerback. They played like a three, two, six, one game. They have no business playing that just everything he could to win a game last year. He did. And they were pretty good in defense and he built the foundation for what they have right now. And he's gone. And they have a really weird situation now where they have, they don't have a defensive coordinator. They have defensive leads, and one coach is the front and one coach is the back. And, like, on Friday afternoon and Saturday morning, they get their play calls together. So when they're in a certain down and distance or when they see a certain personnel package, the guy who calls the back says, listen, when you see this, just run this. My guys know it. So it's an, it's an unusual thing. that I don't know how it's working. I really don't because it's, it's – I don't want to say it's unprecedented, but it's not something I've covered and encountered before. And <laughs> knowing the history of West Virginia coaching, it shouldn't be harmonious, but it's actually worked out pretty well. Um, and I think what happened was at that moment, it was late in the summer and everybody's like, I don't care who the coordinator is. These kids deserve better. I'm more worried about the product on the field than, you know, the title on my resume. Let's revisit this in January and February. And I imagine that's what they're going to have to do. Yeah. It, it's, uh, it speaks to Neil Brown's leadership and yeah. what do you, what do you think of Neil Brown thus far? He's uh he's an interesting cat, man. He, um, He's got his hands on everything. There's not a detail that goes by that I don't think that he isn't aware of when it happens or soon thereafter. Uh, I think that fans around here will tell you that might be good in the long run because he'll probably step away from some stuff. Does he need to be calling plays in offense? There's not a great track record of head coaches calling plays, right? It, it, typically, the good ones give it up and let someone else do it. It's rare now you find a guy who calls plays and is a head coach. They also have a weird situation, too. Like, I just explained the thing on defense, right? It sounds like to me that Brown calls the plays from one goal line to the 20, and then when they get to the red zone, where they're excellent this year, they let their offensive coordinator call the plays. So that's strange. But I think that's also a selfless thing for him where he kind of realized, listen, we stunk in the red zone last year. we got to get better. I hired this offensive coordinator from Penn State. He's my old college teammate. I've always wanted to work with him. He's got great ideas. Let's let him call plays. And they are 25 out of 26 in the red zone. Their first-team offense is 25 for 25. It's 20 touchdowns and five field goals. It's a weird thing, but man, it works. And, and he does that a lot. Like he's, it looks weird sometimes, but he's got a lot of game management and clock management things working in his head at all times. Um, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but he's trying stuff. They've gone for it 15 times on fourth down this year because he treats it as like third down part two. 
he's used two punters in the game, one for short field and one for long field. He's changed kickers for kickoffs during the game. Um, and what's weird is that he is not benching guys during games for mistakes. He's letting them play through it. And I think players really like that. So overall, I think guys look at him and say, listen, he's got his hands on everything, but that means everything is not going to be a surprise to him. He's going to have an answer if a problem pops up. He's prepared. He's ready to go. And I think a lot of people think they probably shouldn't be four and two right now. Maybe it's a two and four or three and three team, but it's also a team that could be four and two and is, and maybe could be five and one and isn't because of Texas Tech and some weird things that happened there. But I think in year two, he's probably answered a lot of questions and, and probably has some exciting answers for them in the future. Yeah. Um, Mike, will will start to wind it down, but Jarrett Dagey, obviously uh, a transfer uh, who's, you know, well, I'll let you tell us what, what do you like about him? How is he progressing? Yeah. His heartbeat is like 27, 28, maybe <laughs> he's just chill. And Touchdown interception is like the same reaction to him. You know, it's it's just one play. I'm going to have more, and I got to throw a touchdown instead of interception or whatever like that. He's made some mistakes. You know, he gets caught with the ball a little bit too much every so often. And, again, he's not great in the deep ball. Some of that's his receivers. But, you know, for a guy who has been kind of abandoned and betrayed by drops, he's he's going back to the same guys. Again, Brown hasn't pulled guys out when they drop the ball because he wants them on the long, on the long run for their team. So, Daggy's the same way. And he is kind of like that coach in the field, too. You know, he's, he's got a lot of natural QB in him. Um, obviously, everybody knows his brother, Sepp. Uh, his dad has been a big influence in his life, too. He knows what he's doing out there. And I, I don't know how much levity he gets for checks and for RPO stuff, too. But just in the past couple of games, he's gotten really hot. Like, like stretches of 8 out of 9, 10 out of 11 in the second and third quarters. And that's when the offense has warmed up. So, now, I don't know what it is in the first quarter with him, but – I don't know what it was in the first quarter of the season, but this middle part here, as in the middle of the games, he's been streaky and he's gotten on these heaters where he's just seen things and he's gotten the ball to open spots. He's thrown guys open. He's made difficult throws and, you know, does it look the most polished? No. Is it the best spiral? No. Does he have the best arm? No. We look down at the end of the day, he's got 300 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. The offense has 450 yards. You're thinking, how the heck this happened? This guy must be good because, all I hear about him is that he's not any good. He throws a wobbly pass, and he's not Will Greer. But um, he's done pretty well without great resources around him, especially in the offensive line. Yeah, yeah. All right, so how do you see this one playing out? I think it's, it's fascinating. West Virginia's 4-1 and one all-time in Austin mm-hmm. against Texas. How do you see this one playing out at 11 a.m. on Saturday? Here's my favorite stat, Chip. Since 2012, West Virginia joined the Big 12. They have three wins at home against a ranked team. If they win Saturday, they will have three wins at DKR against a ranked team. How about that? That's amazing. That shouldn't happen, right? And I just – I don't know what Texas to believe. I'm with you. I watched that game last week, and apart from Mike Gundy doing the inevitable and losing a home game that he probably shouldn't lose, I can't explain that game. It just doesn't make any sense. But what has Texas done? Um, they forced turnovers. And then I kind of feel like being ahead of Texas is the worst thing you can do. <laughs> Because Ellinger starts, like, sandlotting you and running around and making plays, and all of a sudden the play calling gets a little bit more expeditious and you're going for it on fourth down, and there's a rhythm and a flow there. Um, I don't know that West Virginia can get up on them. I'm not sure Texas can do a ton on offense. I figure this is going to be really close, but um, I don't know. I've seen West Virginia turn it over a bunch this year in a weird ways. I've seen them do it less lately, and I really think that they're they're on the cusp of turning the corner, but – I, just, I can't solve Texas here. So 
I just like the veteran quarterback. I like their receivers. I like their offensive line against the defensive line at West Virginia. And I just have questions about can West Virginia learn from its past? Hey, go after the quarterback. Don't be scared of them. Go after him. That's what you do best. Try your best against their best. I'd be very surprised this doesn't come down in the fourth quarter in some regard, whether it's Texas making a comeback or West Virginia holding on and trying to win a close game. Yeah, yeah. The last time they played, uh, West Virginia scored with just seconds left, went for two, converted, and that was the ball game. Yeah. Um, Mike, anything else that stands out to you about this matchup on Saturday? Special teams is probably going to be a weird one here. Uh, new kicker for West Virginia. Their starter got hurt, uh, messed his knee up, covering a kick. And is it Jameson, the kick returner? Yeah, Deshaun. It kind of scares me a little bit for them. And, you know, you're looking for margins and how can you do it. I know he's got one. He had one call back. Um, they've had some, some shaky moments. They gave up one to Puka, but that was with, like, 11 guys who had just gotten in the game. They are all backups. But they've had, you know, holding issues or, or, or different issues on, on that on that end there too. But I also think about punting too. That has been West Virginia's strong strength, the strong suit. They've used a couple guys and Bucheski's pretty good. And if you're making one of these teams go long distances, I like Texas's odds to one, pin them back a little bit better. I just, West Virginia isn't explosive on offense. And if you make them do more, I wonder if they can do it. But the weird thing is they snap the ball like 80 times a game and they're, they're okay when they have a lot of snaps too. But I think field position special teams, I know it's very sports writer cliche, but um, I've watched both these teams and I've seen them both make plays and make use of, you know, the kicking game. And, you know, if it's a missed field goal or if it's a made field goal, if it's stealing three points at the end of a half on a long kick, that really could be important. Good stuff. Good stuff from Mike Casaza, earsports.com. Uh, appreciate Mike uh, taking some time with us and, uh, and appreciate everyone for listening into the flagship podcast preview of Texas, West Virginia. Until next time, I am Chip Brown. Stay safe and keep the faith.